Oh, there we are. Yay, I'm there. Welcome <laughs> to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. What is going on? Mary Goulet, the lovely Mary Goulet hanging out. How are you? Good. How you doing? All righty, Richie Ote. What's up, my brother? Things good in the world? All is good. All is good. All is good in the world here on Beyond Eight Figures. We do sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million. We get to the bottom of exactly what they have done to start and scale and exit from that business. Or both. Or sometimes even both, that they have exited and they have a current business where they are grossing more than $10 million. Well, and some of them, it's like close to $100 million. Uh, Billion. Yeah, Last week's what was yeah. last? Well, what well, well, last oh, week's a couple guest, billionaires. Yeah, last week's guest was a uh, was a billionaire. His book is from, from homeless yep. to billionaire. That was a pretty unbelievable story, really, when you come right down to it. So, you know, if you've missed any of the past episodes of Beyond Eight Figures, uh, make sure you you take a listen into the archives there because. Man, just some of the, uh, well, all of the guests are just amazing in their own right. But at the same token, just unbelievable in terms of how some of these people have done so much in a short period of time. You know, I was uh, I was sharing a, uh, a story the other day uh, with a, a friend. Well, actually, it was, um, yeah, it was a friend's podcast. I was a guest on his podcast. And sharing uh, that story of how we launched one of the Internet's first fully functionally first. Well, how, do I, how, how do I even say that first fully functional e-commerce sites in 1995? And well, guess what other site launched in 1995 as a fully functional e-commerce site? That would be Amazon. So mm. we had different paths clearly in terms of what happened with Amazon and what happened with us. So it's just incredible how, you know, two people can do the exact same thing at the same, at the same time. And then two very different things happen. Right. Mm. So the, the point only being, and I bring this up because you can look at some businesses that are just a few years old and looking at what they've done and how they've done it in such a short period of time, you know, it's, it's crazy. And other businesses that have been around forever, and, and I believe, if I remember this correctly, I believe um, Hyatt, which you obviously you know Hyatt, the hotel chain, right? So Hyatt has been uh, around now for something like 100 years, something crazy like that. I mean, it's a long time, and publicly traded, and I believe that the valuation uh, on Hyatt is something around thirty or forty or fifty billion dollars. I mean, nothing to to sneeze at. But then you look at uh, Airbnb, which launched mm, not terribly long ago, Mm-mm. four or five years ago, or yeah. whatever it might be, and their valuation right now, I believe their last valuation was like seventy billion dollars, and they don't own a, a single piece of real estate, right? They don't own anything, but it's just it's just crazy how how things work out that way. So uh, I got to tell you, that's that's one of the things that I love in terms of what we do here week after week uh, on reinvention. Uh, well, reinvention Radio is our other show as well. If you haven't heard that one, make sure you take a listen to that. But here on Beyond Eight Figures, just the the whole uh, process of breaking down what people do and how they do it and how they got to where they are 
in in such a short expedited period of time i mean is is nothing short of amazing so again make sure you check out some of the back episodes uh if you haven't yet rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show please do so we'd love to have you there wait i think we just got unmute our guest and then he should be good to go uh and i'm really excited to bring on cameron mitchell because his story is uh, is certainly nothing short of amazing there cameron can you hear us brother I sure can. You sure can. Good. Good to see you. Good to hear you. Where uh, you got a nice skyline view in the background there. Where where are you joining us from? Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Somebody just told me that Columbus is the largest city in Ohio. Did he get that right? Actually, it was my son who told me that. Did he get that right? Or is my son lying that, to me? That is correct. That yes. is correct. I don't know how well, I missed the memo on that. So let's let's do this. And, and Cameron, thanks again for joining us here on Beyond Eight Figures. I uh, give you lots of opportunity to share uh, everything that you're up to and the success that you've had and, and what you're doing. Uh, we're going to give you lots of uh, ample opportunity to do that. But let's uh, let's just get this out of the way early. So uh, as if, if you've listened to the show, you know that this is all about featuring entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. How do you meet the criteria for the show? Uh, well, we sold one of our businesses in 2008 for $92 million, and we uh, currently um, are about $310 million in total volume. $310 million in total volume. And so it's, it's super interesting because when you think about those sort of numbers, the last thing that comes to mind for most people is the industry that you've been able to do this in. What is the industry? Let's just uh, let's talk about that for a second. So we own and operate uh, 60 restaurants across the country from Beverly Hills to New York and Chicago and in between and um, have about 5,000 associates within the company today. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. You actually have a spot in, uh, in Del Mar, I believe, right? Just not terribly far up the road from us here in San Diego, yeah? Uh, no, we, have, we just opened a restaurant called Del Mar. Oh, just called Del Mar. Okay. At- California Cuisine Restaurant. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you got to, do, do you have any Southern California locations? Just Beverly Hills. That's just it. Beverly Hills. Okay. We've looked, we've looked in Newport. We've looked in San Diego. We'll get there one of these days. Yeah. All right. Well, if we can help you find a decent spot, we're, uh, we're here to help. Yeah, Richie. And I've been to the Beverly Hills one, Ocean Prime. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank amazing. Thank you very much. Thank yeah, you. it was so let's let's talk about uh, you know here on Beyond Eight Figures we talk about the start we talk about the scale we talk about the exits we try to cover all three uh, avenues of, of the entrepreneurial journey here. Mm-hmm. Your your start is pretty interesting. You weren't born with a silver spoon. You didn't have the trust fund. I mean, it, it wasn't like somebody was like, eh, here, just give this restaurant to Cameron and let's call it a day." <laughs> I mean, you well, let me. I'll have you tell the story then, please, of how of how you got started in this world. As far as not the world world, we don't need to go that far back, but I mean, as far as the restaurant world is concerned. Well, I uh, started as a dishwasher 39 years ago and at 16 years old as a junior in high school. So for two sixty five an hour, um, I needed to work. My mom couldn't give me lunch money, so I needed to find a job, and, and that's what I did. And so I fell into restaurants, and I worked uh, restaurants through high school, and then uh, for a year out of high school, and I was going nowhere in life, uh, you know, 18 years old, living at home with mom, working for beer money and, and that sort of thing, and and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't go off to college. Uh, in fact, I, I graduated high school with a 1.05 GPA, and I was 592 out of 597 in my class. So wow. I wasn't scholastically uh, achieving, that's for sure. But um, I said I had the can-do in high school. I didn't have the will-do. But uh, so then one day during shift change, I just turned 19 at this local restaurant. I was working a double shift, and um, 
I, uh, I talk about it in my book, the answer is yes, what's the question that we introduced, uh, launched last year. And it is, uh, I was the laziest guy in the kitchen, uh, you know, working for the man, uh, working two jobs. And I had a double shift that day. And uh, I'd been suspended for three days for being late and uh, I was on 30 day probation. And, and it was shift change and I looked across the, the kitchen and the, the bar was packed. This restaurant would do about a thousand people on a Friday and Saturday each. And, and so it was very hectic and crazy. And I looked at, I just looked at the pandemonium. I had epiphany time froze. And I said, you know, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So I went home that night after my double shift and I wrote out my goals and I said, I want to go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. I'd heard about that as the Harvard of culinary schools. I was going to become executive chef by the time I was 23, uh, GM at 24, regional at 26, VP of operations at 30 and president of a restaurant company by the time I was 35. And so you detailed all of that out. Oh, yeah. And I uh, woke up my mom at one in the morning, told her I know what I want to do with myself the rest of my life. And I, uh, and so I, uh, uh, and she was quite relieved. And I got up the next morning, went to work. And so on literally 180 degree turn overnight on Saturday, I was the hardest working guy in the kitchen. I had the best attitude in the kitchen and I was working for my future and my career. So, uh, and then the rest really came from there. I just never looked back from there. So. Yeah, and appreciate that. But let let's get then to the to the start here. I mean, okay, so you're a dishwasher. You got this plan. You want to go to CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. I mean, like that's all well and good. Yeah. So, but I, how I, do you? Yeah, how do you make the jump then into actually being an entrepreneur? How do you go from the dishwasher yeah, to so being the executive? Fast forward for a second. We uh, so I I graduated the CIA. I started to work for a local restaurant company here in Columbus. Uh, I opened up the second one as sous chef. I became executive chef by the time I was 23 of this white tablecloth top 10 restaurant. And 24, I became general manager. And then we had opened up several more. And I became, uh, at 26, I became the operations manager for all four of our restaurants. And we grew a few more. And we had six. And I was getting frustrated, hitting my head on the ceiling. Uh, my boss was a real micromanager, a great restaurateur, but he was the company was outgrowing him and it was owned by some local wealthy businessmen and it was a hip pocket business for them and I was getting frustrated and because and my goal was to be president of a restaurant company and I was at a local restaurant one night, chef owned on a Friday night. So I was meeting a friend for a drink about nine o'clock and chef came out in the dining room in his whites and was kibitzing with guests and so forth and had a glass of wine. And I had another epiphany. I said, uh, that's it. I'm going to start my own restaurant company. And that was May of 92. And July 11th, 1992, I left with my legal pad, my pen, and my about seven grand in my name and my one-bedroom apartment and started to uh, uh, work on building camera into restaurants. And I spent uh, the first 30 days uh, running our company culture and values and trying to, uh, you know, reading and extracting and, and writing and rewriting and so forth. And I Finally got that nailed down, and, and then I set about the course of building a restaurant company based on that culture and values, which I'm still doing 26 years later today. And um, worked the first restaurant uh, I worked on for about four months and raised the capital for it through limited partnerships and so forth. And um, I ended up giving up my apartment, moving back into my mom's condo. She was down in Florida, and I was uh, and my landlord I was working with went silent on me around December of '92 and Christmas and. Uh, uh, my attorney told me, you know, something's wrong. You, you might want to think about plan B. So I started to work and find another location. And sure enough, I, I did. And I found, and my, my landlord finally resurfaced in January and said, I'd been trying to hold off the bank and he was filing bankruptcy. And 
and he couldn't do a restaurant deal with me. So that deal fell through and I had to start over and new business plan, uh, new offering, send all my partners their checks back and so forth. And um, I got now down to the end of February and I was uh, literally down to a picture on my desk of my last $70 rolling change to buy groceries and credit cards were max. My savings was gone. Everything was gone. And and, and uh, I finally got funded at the very end of February of 92 and, or 93 now. And I was able to write myself back a check for seven grand that I'd charged off to pre-opening expenses out of the $400,000 budget. I was able to break escrow and I lived off that 7,000 bucks until we opened up October 5th of 1993. And since then, we've opened about 90 restaurants uh, across the country. And mm -hmm. like I said, I sold uh, 22 in 2008. Uh, we have 60 today and I've closed about eight over the years along the way. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a remarkable story. Let me, let me backtrack here because there's a lot of people listening who don't want you to gloss over that first endeavor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you talk about where you were, in February of 93, I mean, you've got the, you know, the picture, you've got the, the 70 bucks, you had this, uh, you know, this, this idea for one spot that fell through, almost put you out. I mean, I guess mm -hmm. you could have gone back to washing dishes and, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of thing, which you can always mm -hmm. do when you pick up skills. But how does a broke kid, I mean, you know, 93, right? Went to, you know, for all intents mm -hmm. and purposes, you've been in the restaurant business, you've done some things, but how does a broke kid convince mm -hmm. people i mean you're living in an apartment you go back to my like how does how do you convince people to write you a check and who did you ask to write this you, you these checks for 400k and were people writing well, you checks for 5k and and 10k or was somebody uh, writing you a check for 100k like how, break down the 400k it was uh, a lot of 5 10 15 20 25,000 dollar checks and uh um i had a, i had a good pedigree i had a great pedigree as a matter of fact and i i um um and people knew me. A lot of these people, I was blessed in my old job. I worked in the front of house operations and ran all these restaurants. And so a lot of people got to see me in action. But I started with about 250 names on my prospect list. And, and uh, I ended up getting 25 partners. So, uh, and it was a very laborious process. And, and uh, the, the thing about it was, you know, uh, yeah, I got 25 yeses, but I got 225 no's. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, that... It took its toll. I didn't date during the time. I didn't have any money to date anyways, but I was just kind of down. And, and uh, but I just kept, pers you know, uh, persevering. And, and, you know, you think about perseverance and fortitude, are the two key words of mine and, and the goal setting that have gotten me through uh, many scrapes along the way, including this one. But it was certainly a dark time in my life, no doubt about it. And that first restaurant, what was what was the first restaurant concept? called Cameron's American Bistro. It's just a little hundred seat restaurant, still there today, still prosperous today, still doing well today. But, uh, and that was all I could afford and all I could convince to people to start me with. And then we opened up a second one of those and then a third new concept, which was really, really busy and really took off and a fourth restaurant, an Italian restaurant that did very well. So, mm -hmm. uh, within the first three years, we were doing about $10 million and we had, uh, four restaurants open and uh, things started going pretty good there at that point in time. But uh, it was, uh, you know, all through this journey has been, uh, it's a tale of trials and tribulations. Yeah. And, and, and just one more question and then I'll turn it over to these guys for sure. And I just want to make sure I understand this because again, from the start perspective, what was the promise to the investors? So mm -hmm. the, the people who, we're going to write these checks to, to get to 25 investors to get to 400 K 
what what was the promise to them and what did you what were you able to carve out for yourself as the owner operator mm-hmm. well i uh um i didn't I, I believe that anybody that owned their company should have written a check so i and i had uh um my family had raised ten thousand dollars for me so i originally wrote i was ten thousand of that four hundred thousand and uh um you know uh so i had two and a half percent of it if you will but the um and then i was uh um you know the the i had a, a management fee i took which was for my sweat equity and so the way we did it was which was four percent of sales but the way we did it was uh uh, we took the management fee, and then um, I, I gave the partners 100% of the cash flow until they received their cash back, and then I would take 50-50. We'd split 50-50 after that. And so uh, with them thinking that, you know, everybody wrote a check to get in, and, and you know, they were getting 100% of the cash flow until we broke, you know, got their money back, you know, it equated to basically uh, my projections were three years, they'd have their money back, and then they'd have a nice return on their investment going forward from there. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how we did it. And, and uh, you know, we lived up to most of that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, and, and we have about 100 partners today over the years. And, and uh, um, you know, one door always led to another. One partner got a friend in for, you know, I did six capital raises for each of my first six restaurants. And, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, it just kind of worked out that way, and we did okay. And people, you know, the bottom line is people trusted me. Um, yeah. They, uh, you know, whether I would uh, succeed or not was, was, you know, the risk anybody would take. But the fact of the matter is I think they trusted me from the very beginning. They, you know, and that, that uh, I always say integrity takes years to build and days to ruin, and, mm. and, uh, and people still trust me today. So, you know, yeah. never done doing that. Yeah, I got about a million other questions. But Mary, Rich, where are you guys at with things? Yeah, I, I definitely have one. Yeah. I have a few, um, but I'll start with one. So in the beginning, you're a master chef. You went to school, the pedigree, totally get all that. I could see how you could sell that, especially if it's in small chunks that people are given at a time. They believe in you. Uh, it sounded as if management at one of the restaurants, I can't remember where in the progression, is what started you to say, I kind of want to do this myself. Mm-hmm. Did you did you see that they were stifling your your growth as what mm-hmm. the final product you wanted to have and the customer experience or what was that that made you yeah. go from chef to owner? Well, so again, it was uh, there was two reasons. One, it was a hip pocket business for these guys, and I had seen around the country these uh, multi concept restaurant operators were starting to pop up in major cities across the country and. And, and they didn't really, this, they were in a development business. And so this was just a, an amenity for some of their developments and they didn't care about us. And, and, and then on top of that, my boss being a micromanager and, and I just had bigger ideas and, and, and felt like I was getting stifled and, and uh, you know, I was getting frustrated. And ultimately I never had had a thought up until that very point at that restaurant at 9 p.m. when I had that epiphany of owning my own restaurant or having my own company. I was always president of a restaurant company in that split moment, it switched to, I'm going to start my own company. And, and uh, you know, it was 14 months before, from that point, 14 months before I opened the, the doors to the first one. And and I, I still to this day would say that's the hardest thing I ever did was get that first one open. And then uh, running the first two or three by myself was very, very difficult. I, I never worked harder during that time. And that time. One more that kind of follows that, it goes with it. So I also notice there's chefs that almost never want to come out of the back and only want to stay in the kitchen. And then there's the chefs that always want to come out. And I could imagine by looking at the name 
and seeing you now, you you have your own personality. Did you want to incorporate that in? Did you come out? Did you continue to be the chef when you opened this new one, or were you no, just the general manager? And I never went to culinary school to become a chef. I wanted to learn about food because I want to be president of a restaurant company. I said I better know about food, and and so you know I knew my journey always would be out toward to the front of the house eventually, and and so. Uh, but today, when I walk down the line in the kitchen, you know, guys respect me and so forth because they know I did their job and I worked in, in their shoes for many, many years. But, uh, you know, the point of the matter is, uh, generally speaking, in the restaurant business, you know, uh, you have one or two flavors. You know, you had the Mario Batalis of the world that came up through the chef ranks and became popular restaurateurs, or the Danny Myers of the world that came up through the operations ranks in the front of the house. And I'd say less than 5%, I usually say 1% or 2%. I actually worked both and, and knew both, and, and uh, that turned out to be a great skill set that I had over the years that I understood and can, can communicate well with everybody on both sides of that fence. So I wanted to ask a question. One, hearing your story, even though you went to CIA, you started out as a dishwasher, you had these epiphanies, you've got an it factor in this industry. Mm-hmm. And people trust you and they wanted to invest in you. And I think it truly was, there's an it factor around you. And also the multi-concept part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was that a roll of the dice for you to do multi-concepts instead of just saying, I want to do a chain of black Angus? Yeah, no, uh, it was always my dream. My, my hero in this business is Rich Melman out of Chicago, Lotus Entertainment restaurants. And, um, you know, there's several other successful multi-concept operators around uh, the country. And, and that was always my goal, was to be a multi-concept operator. And um, I never really, up until even now, five years into the business, ever thought about going out of town or building, you know, a chain of restaurants or, or uh, develop, you know, growing a concept. And so, uh, and that always never interested me as much as the creation part, quite frankly. But the, uh, but that, um that kind of changed my tune towards the end of 2000. And we started to uh, uh, think about going out of town and, and, but my original goal was just to have, you know, several multi-concept restaurants here in Columbus and be a Columbus restaurateur. And, and once we started going out of town and expanding our brands, then we expanded the fish market brand. We sold uh, uh, 19 of those and three steakhouses to Ruth Chris Steakhouse, like I said, for 92 million in 2008. And, and uh, we we understand the power of branding today, and 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 so we're still kind of today. That it's the beauty of it all. We have our national brand, which is Ocean Prime. We're in 16 major markets across the country, and and that's about a 150 million dollar brand. And uh, and then we have the other 150 million dollars of our business is uh, is a lot of multi concepts. We have another smaller brand of 23 restaurants, our Rusty Bucket brand, which is a casual corner tavern concept, but. We have 18 different brands in our portfolio, mm-hmm. and we just opened two new ones uh, last month. So um, that we, we that'll always be our genesis as a multi-concept uh, restaurant company. Hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Richie. Yeah, d- this is perfect timing for this question. So it's always interesting to me when someone stays in the same vertical but yet sells off some of their properties, just like they would do in real estate. Did you kind of begin with the end in mind, like I'm gonna? sell these particular concepts to somebody or is it the lowest performing assets that someone else thinks they can do better? Like how did that unfold? Well, uh, that's a good question. The, the, um, and that happened by happenstance also, <laughs> you know, we had, uh, I had uh, $30 million of debt that I was personally guaranteed on, uh, taxes were low. Uh, uh, the economy was doing very well in 07 when we went to market and, 
Um, you know, obviously the crash happened in the fall of 2008, so our timing was pretty good, but uh, we sold in February of 2008. But that process took about a year, but, you know, I, I wanted to provide a good return for our investors. I wanted to um, take some chips off the table for myself and so forth. And so, uh, so we had 40 restaurants, we sold 22, which was about two thirds of our company at that time and went down to 18, but we still had our platform. We still had our team. We still had our offices and, and, uh, and now we've rebuilt to 60 today. So it's, uh, um, and, and now today, you know, I could sell the ocean prime brand today, but, uh, um, I really don't want to, it's not, you know, and it's kind of hard to separate our people because we're people first people centric culture. And, but I thought it would be good for them to go to Roost Chris and they can grow faster and we can grow other brands faster and so forth. So that was the evolution of that. And I may never have another sale again, who knows? Yeah. Um, not, it's not something, I, I think if you build something with the idea of selling it, uh, it's just a little bit disingenuous. It's not, you know, I, I think you do much better with you build something that you want to make great and you want to keep and, and so forth. And then if someone comes along one of these days and an offer I can't refuse, maybe we'll do it. But it's not really in our charge or our direction at this point. Yeah, let me uh, let me let me go to the scale part of the the conversation here. Then, so when we're when we're sitting here with the with the one location and you raise money for that, the next five locations you did LPs on that, so you had mm-hmm. six total raises, mm-hmm. uh, different partners, obviously. Yep. And I'll get into my follow up question in a second here, but I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So, for the next fifty odd openings. Was it now based simply on your name, your line of credit, your your reputation, or did you end up raising a fund that then gave you the flexibility to mm-hmm. open up uh, other locations as needed? Where, where did the capital come from for the additional so, 60-odd restaurants or 56 so great restaurants? Question, great question. So we, uh, after we had the first six restaurants, we did them all separate LLCs in the beginning because I didn't want one to fail and drag down the, the others. And so sure. we we couldn't cross collateralize anything. We couldn't borrow against anything. It was just still, there were six separate businesses. And so in 2000 uh, or 1998, I built, built two big restaurants. Uh, each restaurant we built before was under a million dollars. And I built two restaurants that cost us two and a half million dollars and, and together and opened a month apart in 1998. And so uh, I hired Deloitte and Touche to do evaluation. And we did a roll up of all of our entities and formed one master LLC, which is Cameron Mitchell Restaurants LLC and raised uh, another three and a half million dollars at that point to open these next uh, 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 two restaurants and, and with a little bit of bank debt. And so, so that the LLC was born. Then I did another offering in 2001 because we got in trouble. We overexpanded and, uh, and then, you know, the 9-11 hit and so forth. And so I did another capital raise in 2001. And then uh, um, we grew on bank debt and internal cash flow all the way along until we had our sale transaction. And I, I left a few million bucks in the company, we paid off our debt and, and uh, um, uh, paid our partners and so forth. And uh, in two, in 2008, when we sold, and then I, I was uh, uh, probably one of my biggest mistakes I've made in my life. I was very uh, aggressive, reading my own press clippings, et cetera, and I went mm-hmm. out and signed uh, seven big expensive restaurants with $20 million development price tag on those uh, to open the next 18 months. Well, uh, lo and behold, the crash happened. I left the company with $3 million on the balance sheet, and no debt, and and so, uh, lo and behold, I had to, in 2009, do a, another capital raise to get ourselves, you know, stabilized. Now that hole a little bit, and 
uh, I ended up giving back. Basically, I became my largest, you know, investor in that in that deal, and I gave back basically everything I had left mm. you know, at the yeah. market uh, and put it back into the company. So my original goal of taking some chips off the table had failed because I was now all my chips were back on the table. So that that's the last capital raise we've done, and we'll never have to. We're finally at the point now where we uh, we can grow, uh, pay for all of our own growth with our own capital. Uh, never have to borrow another dime again, and and uh, and pay principal and interest, pay our debts down, and and uh, pay our partners. So it's it's a good feeling today, but it's taken me 25 years to get there. Mm-hmm. So, quick question as far as the the exit goes, and just the the general structure is concerned. Do you do you only lease your properties, or do you do you have a separate entity that buys the real estate and then leases to Cameron Mitchell, and that sort of what what's your mo around that? I get that question a lot in our in our business. You know, we're not doing out parcels and malls where we can buy a parcel of ground and put a restaurant there. We're you know in Manhattan. We got a two million square foot office building on top of us. I couldn't buy that real estate. Yeah. My, my wildest dreams. And so uh, we're in big developments around the country for the most part. And uh, and so all of our deals are lease deals. And and, and uh, you know it's not that we wouldn't buy our real estate. Just in our type of business and our type of restaurants, those deals present themselves pretty few and far between. I'm much more interested in a great location and a great lease deal Mm -hmm. and a trophy location that's going to be there for 40 years that I can never buy on my own. Boston is a perfect example of that. We're just a trophy multi-generational site that'll be there for 40 years. I could never have bought that property, but I'm more than happy to lease it for 40 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And so to that end, as far as valuation is concerned, how, how do you get to a $92 million number on, on that exit? Is that, what is that based that was, off of? That was uh, for that particular, those particular restaurants, uh, it was about, uh, they did about 90 million volume. They had uh, um, uh, 8.9 million of, of, of EBITDA. And so it was 10.3. It's a multiple I got in that deal for 92. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, you were 50-50 then with the original partner group? Because it sounds like there was a lot of roll-up of the LLCs, and, and it, it gets a little convoluted, I would think, with all those different restaurants and the concepts and so on. Yeah. So well, we had how... $30 million in debt. I gave, uh, I'll just to break down that waterfall for you, it was $30 yeah. million in debt, and I, uh, you know, we had about uh, $2 million in fees to get the deal done, so that's 90 30 million in debt, uh, that's 60 and then I had uh, left three in cash, uh, on the uh, on the balance sheet in the company, it's 57, and then I had uh, um, I gave the man the management team got 10% of the purchase price. That took us down to 48 or so, and um, and uh, um, uh, we had to pay off you know our trailing bills and so forth, you know purchases and so forth. Long story short, I think we ended up distributing uh, 40 million dollars to our partners on that deal. Mm-hmm. And, the ratio of what they own. If they own, uh, you know, ten percent, they got four million dollars. If they own one percent, they got four hundred thousand. So yeah, just how it goes. Yeah, it's all broken accordingly. So, yeah. Mary? Um, going back to the very beginning, because you say you have five thousand associates right now, and outside of your partners or slash investors, who was a critical uh, hire or someone who maybe has been with you the whole time or really influenced you or had your back while you were beginning? Um, well, we pride ourselves in Cameron Mitchell Restaurants having very, very low turnover. I mean, our average executive team, senior leadership team member, we have 10 on our senior leadership team, 
I've been with the company 20 years. Um, so uh, Dave Miller, our present chief operating officer, started with me as a GM at our third restaurant and, and uh, it's going to be 23 years now. Uh, Stacy Connaughton, who was really, I call her, she was associate number 002. I was 001. <laughs> and uh, she's just retiring this year. So after 26 years and um, and she's been with me since day one and, and, and at my side. And so there's just a lot of people, but you know, there's a lot of good people that have come along the way too that have joined the ranks. We've got uh, tremendous stories. I say someone all they have to do is look to their right or look to their left in this organization, and you'll see someone that's doubled, tripled, quadrupled their salary since they started and jumped the ladder. Eighty-five percent of our people we promote from within, so we don't really outside hire very often. Yeah. Nice. I was going to ask when you have different concepts and they're in different locations all across the country, how did you? create the culture that kind of transitioned to all the different restaurants as you expanded them and are there different cultures no it's all the same company culture and uh, um, we uh, we measure that culture twice a year we do what we call associate opinion survey twice a year and and uh, the culture to me is it's the mortar that holds the bricks together it's most important and and um, in the early days, like when we grew really fast in 00 and 01, uh, we didn't have enough people on board to open all these new restaurants. So we opened a couple of restaurants literally with the whole outside hire management team. And, and that was a disaster. You know, these folks, we thought we could train them our culture and they could learn it in 12 weeks and we could open the restaurant and things would be fine. And that's just simply not the case. So today, uh, we won't open a restaurant no matter where it is with about, without, say we have eight people on the management team, we would have uh, six or seven of those people would be promoted from within. We might hire one or two local people. Um, but generally, uh, uh, we stock that opening management team with our internal people and, and our opening hourly teams are all internal people. And, and they uh, um, and we inculcate that culture immediately from day one from orientation, which I do personally for every new restaurant across the country and and, and talk about our culture. We set that stage from the, the very moment they step foot in the door. And so today, like our last associate opinion survey, uh, oddly enough, you know, it's not, you know, seven out of our top 10 restaurants, you know, our bottom restaurant score might be 89, our top restaurant might be 95, you know, in 14 culture questions we ask, but seven of the top 10 uh, were all out of town restaurants. So we, we, we've gotten to the point where it doesn't matter whether in town or out of town, that culture is alive and well throughout our organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another point's well taken. And of course, expansion, right? I mean, having a one, if you are a sole operator, a sole proprietor with one location, I mean, that's, you know, and and I'm from Chicago, so very familiar with Rich Melman and Lettuce and, you know, and you look at some concepts like Bob Chin's, you know, I mean, the $40 million restaurant, Crab House. I mean, so yeah. it can it can happen where you have just this one amazing facility. Right. But once Those you start, yeah. yeah, few and far between. Once you yeah. start expanding and then especially as you start moving into other locations, mm-hmm. there's there are the operators where I get it, you promote what, from within. But was there a key hire that? helped you from from an operational standpoint not in terms because again what it takes to open a second restaurant is very different in terms of a skill set of a gm versus someone who you know has actually worked in 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 a a multinational type of corporation where there are various locations uh, spread out right so what was there was there a key hire on that side that came from outside of 
the restaurant industry or just purely came, well, uh, everybody came from within? Yeah, like for instance, our senior vice president of operations today started with a sous chef as with our third restaurant. Our, our senior VP of store planning and purchasing was our first to your executive chef at our third restaurant when we came on board. And so um, everybody on our, our leadership team is homegrown. I mean, with the exception of our uh, our VP and general counsel, you know, even having attorneys in the company per se, but he's been our outside attorney for the past 12 years and now he's inside. So mm-hmm. even with coming on board, we've got this great relationship with. So, um, no, it's, um, you know, we're a restaurant company built by its people for its people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I gave our team $5 million out of the sale transaction in, in uh, uh, 2098. I just gave our leadership team two and a half million dollars just for fun for our mm-hmm. uh, 25 year anniversary. Everything I did was two five in it somewhere. And, and um, you know, it's just uh, our people, you know, we, we have a saying here we want this to be the last job you ever have. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people like I say are building their careers, hundreds of CMR marriages and hundreds of CMR babies. And mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, and if this has been one of your favorite uh, interviews so far, we're we're certainly open. I mean, if you're you know if you're writing checks, just you get some excess cash you want to kick around just for morale. That that that'll, that'll help keep our morale nice and high. We're okay with that. We'll pro- promote your book too. Yeah, we'll promote your book too, right? Which we'll talk about here in a second. But Perfect. yeah, exactly. Richie, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I was just going to kind of piggyback on your expansion. I'm curious when you look at the locations. I can understand New York. I can understand Chicago, Florida, all that. What do you look for? in a city, partially mm-hmm. selfish, because I would love to see you here too. What, mm-hmm. do, what do you look for in a city and what makes you expand to that city? Well, uh, that's a great question. We don't necessarily grow geographically speaking. You know, uh, some restaurant companies have expansion plans and target to kind of grow from out, you know, from within, you know, outside, just keep enlarging your circle. Um, you know, I don't know, five, six years ago, we decided we want to make Ocean Prime a national brand. So, you know, you can't be a national brand if you're not in New York and if you're not in, you know, California, L.A. So um, we had a concerted effort to find locations in those cities. But we, we're looking in major cities. We just opened in Chicago, you know, at the corner of Michigan and Wacker. We spent uh, mm-hmm. you know, five five years, you know, the Apple stores across the street from us there. You know, I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. we spent five years looking for what we call trophy locations that are become generational sites that won't be available for another generation or two. And. And if you can do that, uh, they're hard to find. But if you, you know, we can keep this one. We've made all the real estate mistakes, real estate mistakes you can make in this business, and uh, and we've learned our lessons and uh, and making excuses for properties. And well, it'll be, you know, we can work around that, or we can work around that. And, and we try today to really just focus on making sure that that location is a, as we call, a trophy location, and that mm-hmm. really helps ensure our success for the long term. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because, I mean, obviously you've you've had a lot of success. Um, certainly you've been able to put cash in your pocket and cash in the, in the pockets of those who have worked with you for, you know, uh, for as long as they have and been an integral part of your success. What uh, what 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 still keeps you up at night, man? What's the what's the struggle? What scares you? Well, uh, I want to answer two questions there. One is, you know, the cash. And I want to uh, remind everybody, you know, our number one goal as CEO of a restaurant company is not to make a profit. Our number one goal is to maintain our culture and values. It's, that's what we call, a, it's a 51-49 relationship. Or 51, you know, I want to be a restaurant company for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, long after I'm in a big restaurant in the sky. And 
we need to be a values-driven organization to do that, right? So that's our number one goal, first and foremost. We won't sacrifice uh, our culture to make profit. We'll leave a dollar on the table before we ever sacrifice our people or our values. So, so that's issue number one. So it's not about the profit. Secondly, um, uh, you know, as far as um, keeping me up at night, it used to be cash. You know, I, you know, I've, I've uh, been a classic entrepreneur, and uh, you know, turning two dollars into three, and you know, trying to figure out how to stretch and. We've been late on our payables for a long, long time with a lot of vendors over the years and so forth because of our growth. But uh, so today, though, the, the really the three things that keep me up at night are one is uh, I can't control, or, or really I can't control any of them, quite frankly. But uh, one of them is cybersecurity. Um, we were one of the first companies in 2004 to get hit by the credit card hackers, and, mm. and it cost us about a million six at that point in time. And that was a, a glorious day for me because. Uh, uh, when I originally found out about it and, you know, the bank called me and, you know, we had a bankruptcy, I mean, our attorneys on a Saturday all day long with their bankruptcy attorneys, because it was originally going to be about the 25 million it cost us. So long story short, I rolled over. Wait, I'm played. sorry. I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. Are you saying that people ended up tagged? They, they, yeah, they got into your accounts? Or? Yeah, we had 600,000 credit cards, uh, numbers stolen, information stolen, you know, mined through credit card electronic hackers. Wow. And so... The fines and everything uh, and damages would have totaled originally twenty five million. That was the original quote, and then I rolled over and played dead, and and uh, and and uh, they and pity for me went up a million six, and and so at that point I was relieved because that wasn't a fatal blow. That was something you know we could live through and live to fight another day. So that was actually a good day for me. But um, so today I worry about you know even great companies target. You hear about oh I'm getting hacked and. And we uh, spend quite a bit of money and effort on cybersecurity to make sure we're safe. So that's that's one that keeps me up. Uh, secondly, is today's litigious society, you know, um, anybody can say anything about anybody. And sure. We have a great HR practice. You know, we, uh, um, you know, we've been taking care of the Me Too movement since we, for 25 years. It was never an issue with us. I mean, that sort of thing. But, uh, uh, you know, I just worry about any sort of, you know, uh, lawsuit or, or God forbid, you know, someone gets killed, leave one of our restaurants, drinking yeah. and driving, anything like that. So those kind of things just happened to Tiger Woods, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, you know, we, again, we have insurance for that, but we, 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 we work diligently to, to, uh, create those safe work environments and, uh, and making sure that never happens, but you never know. So that, that is the other issue there. And then the third one is outside of my hands and that's uh, today's world. And, you know, uh, um, today's society and so forth. And I just, uh, we're in a great economy right now and so forth, but you never know. And, and you know, I've lived through the, you know, the Great Recession and lived through 9-11 and, and a few other recessions. And, and, and I have enough confidence that we'll kind of get through it, but you just never know some days in this world what will happen. So that's kind of outside of my control and so forth. So Yeah, points well taken. Richie, I think you were jumping over at the microphone there for no, a second. No, I mean, well, there's... You know, we're running out of time, so I don't want to go too deep, but I just wanted to make a, a an analogy to something I heard Disney say to your first comment there when you were talking about um, more important to protect the culture than make the money. And I remember, well, not remember, but I saw a quote of his that said, uh, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. And it just kind yeah. of reminded me of similar thing mm -hmm. you know it yeah. kind of goes into the why you're doing what you're doing yeah pretty 
So, Cameron, let, let's uh, let, let's talk about the the book. So, yes is the answer. What's the question, right? Mm-hmm. So, this is is this your first book? Is this twentieth uh, book? Just want to see where you're at in the in the journey of, of being an author. Yeah. So, we did a tabletop book uh, um, twenty almost twenty years ago. We did and, and uh, called the Art of the Meal. It was about a day in the life in the restaurant business. It was a recipe book. It was a cookbook. There was a lot of stuff in it, but. Mm-hmm. And that was a difficult process. Um, but uh, the past five years, I've had a lot of people, you know, I get hundreds of speaking requests a year. And I get, I had, a, I had uh, a lot of people asking me to write a book. And, and our 25th anniversary was approaching. And I said, this is just a perfect, you know, segue into that and the, the perfect impetus to get me to do it. So, uh, uh, so we did it and it took 14 months. It was, uh, you know, I hired a publisher, you know, I hired the authors and, and uh, out of New York and, um, you know, every other week I went to New York or every other week they came here and we, and we sat down and in the off weeks we edit and so forth. And it just, uh, but it, they were great. And it was just a, it was a, it was a really good process. And, and it was funny by the end of the, right. And I was told this would happen by the, by the time we got, you know, a day, a week away or two weeks away or three weeks away from actually sending it out to, to print. Um, I got super cold feet and I froze up. I literally locked up and Stacy, who I mentioned earlier, my longtime assistant during 25 years picked up. The, I was like on the three yard line and I kind of tossed her the ball and she was in the end zone and, and, uh, um, but I froze up and, and that was the first time in my life I've really frozen up on anything. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, kind mm-hmm. of moving and you, you, you dig deep, but, uh, uh, it was scary. And, and, you know, the review and the feedback I wrote for three reasons. One is a, a legacy project for our people. Again, uh, you know, one of these days I'll be in the big restaurant in the sky and I wanted that book written in my voice. It's a two-part book. It's a story of the Horatio Alger story from high school dropout and runaway and last of my class to building a national restaurant company. So that's the Horatio Alger part. And the other half is about our company culture and values and how we put that to work and, and how that has helped create uh, uh, this restaurant company that I'm so blessed to lead today. So, mm-hmm. um, so then the, uh, so I did it for our legacy piece. I did it for uh, to help push our brand forward, and then our pe- for our people ultimately. And then, and then thirdly, I did it for to share with others and, and uh, people and anybody in the service industry, the restaurant industry, uh, you know, uh, you name it. Uh, it's just a, it's a great read, and, and the feedback has been very good. And, mm-hmm. and that's really the ultimate end run goal for me is that people liked it. And I think they do. So it's good. What was the uh, what was the cold feet? What were you scared of? Well, it's like getting a tattoo, right? A big tattoo. It's permanent. You just can't, uh, hey, give me all these books back. I want to take this back. You know, it's it's permanent. And that that uh, was scary. And, and I didn't want to put something out there. You know, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to, to do it. And I didn't want to put something out there that, uh, you know, people wouldn't like. Or they were like, you know, or asked or they thought I was egomaniac or what, you know, whatever. I mean, I didn't want to have feedback. Feedback I only wanted was I, I love it. I you know I felt like I was right there with you. It's an easy read. It was you know incredibly motivating. I get lots of letters of people say they bought it for their team. They bought you know etc. And and uh, that's that's the thing for me. So it's, hopefully it was other people find value in it, and then therefore I'm happy with it. Yeah, nice. So are you uh, obviously being in uh, in, in a solid position at this point in your career? How uh, how often or how likely or how how open are you to investing in others at this point given you know the fact that people invested in you to get started 
Yeah, uh, another great question. So I have a rule of thumb. I've, I've uh, invested uh, in several other startups to, to uh, kind of pay it forward, you know, because people mm -hmm. took them. And honestly, not any of them have really done anything for me or done very well, so unfortunately. But uh, uh, on the same token, you know, I, uh, I have on my desk here my fourth quarter goals. I'm still writing goals and goal-oriented. I tell people I'm in the fourth quarter of my career, and I'm really moving into a chairman's role within mm -hmm. the company. Uh, true chairman and, and uh, focused on what I call the two S's. One is uh, st strategy, chief strategy officer, and the second is uh, stewardship, uh, chief steward of the company. And, and I've done it. We're, we, you know, we just, uh, uh, I'm leading the charge for, uh, um, uh, we're starting a new $40 million, uh, 80,000 square foot new state-of-the-art hospitality management school at Columbus State College here. And we're the lead donor uh, for that project, and it's called Mitchell. It'll be at Mitchell Hall at Columbus State School of Hospitality Management at Mitchell Hall. And my friends kind of joked, "You ever think you have an academic building named after you?" I said, "No." <laughs> no, no <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, we're opening a Bud Dairy Food Hall in a couple of months. That we have eight uh, young entrepreneur food people in that. And our goal there is to help take them to bricks and mortar eventually, and they have all the resources of as chef partners of ours to, uh, of Cameron Mitchell restaurants to help them move forward. I've started, I have a, uh, a young restaurateur group that I lead. I have six restaurateurs in the Columbus here that have, you know, one, two, three, four restaurants that mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, we meet bi-monthly for four hours and break bread and, and, and have some wine together and talk shop. And my goal there is to help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I did. So, you know, uh, and just working on more ways to just, you know, put it out there and then be that steward of our community and, and steward of our industry and so forth. Yeah. Well, it's a hmm. little ancillary to what you do, but it's definitely related. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, but I've owned actually liquor.com, that, uh, that domain since uh, 98. Mm -hmm. So if you ever uh, want to diversify, we should have a conversation about liquor.com. Okay. It, <laughs> uh, it seems aligned and, you know, maybe there's something That's there. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a good one for sure, but uh yeah, man, really really appreciate you sharing uh, so much with us here today. Is the is the goal then potentially to to exit or break off into pieces off of the current or are we just leaving it to the family now and uh and what what's the what is the exit plan from from here forward? You know, uh I'm not sure I really have one. Um like I said, I really don't have any intention to sell. Um uh obviously we would if someone Darden came along or whatever, but, uh, you know, for the right number, but, um, seems like Fertitta so, would be the guy to write you the right, uh, to write that yeah, check. No, he doesn't pay very well. No, I, <laughs> anyways, uh, we wouldn't give it away, but, uh, you know, I mean, you think about it, you know, we're 310 million today. We could be, you know, uh, you know, we could be a billion in the next five years or 15 years, excuse me. You know, our goal is just to continue to grow. And I've always said to everybody, we, we do a great job and we grow and, and uh, we're successful then uh, you know, good things come. And, and so, uh, but that's, you know, not necessarily our intention and, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time. We're actually, uh, uh, getting ready maybe to start getting in the hotel business. I've always wanted to be in the boutique hotel business. Mm. So close on a deal there started in that business and, and, uh, you know, we'll see where it takes us, but, you know, continue to uh, live within our goals and our values. Well, we're going to be okay. Yeah, nice. you seem way too chill to be a restaurant guy. Right? Like, I mean, like any any guys that I've ever seen. I mean, it just seems to be such a high pressure industry, and you seem like such a chill dude. It's like <laughs> I could be intense if I want to. I uh, I'm definitely matured over the years. Uh, you know, 
I was pretty intense in my younger days. Right. But, uh, which yeah. which mountain are we willing to die on? And uh, the yeah. answer is no more mountains, right? That's uh, right. yeah, exactly. Very very so, cool. So we had a great time, you know, helping everybody else out and taking care of our people and taking care of our community. Yeah, you'll you'll appreciate this story. Have you been in Columbus your entire life? Is that why you started there? And yeah, yep, born and raised. Yeah, yeah man. So I uh, there's a little aside, a little Columbus story. Uh, do you do you remember Bob Massey who led uh, CompuServe? Oh, yeah, no, Bob. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, so we launched on CompuServe's electronic mall in 1993. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. uh, so go, going back quite, quite a long way, but I remember, uh, when Bob split off, uh, CompuServe into two pieces and he, he had CompuServe and he had wow from CompuServe and mm-hmm. he was trying to capture, you know, a little bit of the younger people. Anyway, I went to the headquarters there and that's where, I mean, they were just starting to really blow up and had a couple buildings and just doing really, yeah. really well. And I and I sent him an email and I said I, I'm I'm really concerned that if you split this into two different flagship programs here, CompuServe and then while from CompuServe trying to go after that younger market, you're going to be in danger. And sure as hell, I mean that's that's you know writing on the wall. But the, anyway, it's just Columbus is a great town, and yeah. uh, you know just a, so such a great entrepreneurial spirit there. And uh, really, again, appreciate you spending so much time with yeah. us here on beyond eight figures if people want more information uh about you cameron or obviously they can go grab the book yes is the answer what is you know what's the question but any particular place you want folks to go to get more info on you very easy uh it's uh dot com. you uh you go there and you get any, everything you need anything you need about the company and the book you can order the book books on amazon.com also and in a lot of bookstores but uh, uh you can order from us easily too and um through our website yeah, well, definitely check out, uh, and again, if you go to CameronMitchell.com, you can see the the wide array of restaurants. Hopefully you'll find uh, a place close to you, and uh, and just now that I now that I know the man behind the brands here, and uh, and you've given us so much insight, it'll, it'll make that experience even more special. So thanks, thanks Cameron. Really do appreciate you. I know you're a busy My guy. So all day and all of your uh, guests. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. All we ask you to do now is just uh, you know just put this front and center in all your restaurants after the interview. You can just have put it on an endless loop, man. That's all we ask you to do. Just <laughs> no, an endless loop in all the restaurants. All right, my friend. Cameron Mitchell, thank you so much for Mary Goulet and for Richie Ote. Wait, wait, holding it down in the studio. I'm Steve Olsher. Talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody.